Business Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, my guest is a neurodivergent queer artist of color and owner of the If I Knew Then Letters Project. Please welcome Alyssa Phoenix. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for for popping on and um you know, in going into, it's not a torture chamber. I was going to say the torture chamber that is this podcast, but it's, it's not that. It's always really fun and, and light and conversational. But um, before we get too deep into the into the fun, uh, I, I want you to share your story. And um, if you could highlight the first experience that you had, like working with art and knowing that art was something you wanted to uh, spend a fair amount of your, your life and your time toward. Oh, that's like always a good interview question, right? Like <laughs> try to sum it all up as much as you can. Um, the imposter syndrome in me wants to say like, now nah, pick another book. You don't need the Elizabeth Phoenix story. Um, but uh, all right. So basics, uh, born and raised in Maryland. I'm black. I'm queer, uh, neurodivergent. I, um, I live in Baltimore uh, with my two kids and my partner and my dog and probably more plants than I even care to admit. Um, my, a lot of my educational background is, uh, special ed, psychology, queer studies. I like to say I'm a certified lesbian on my claim to fame. And, um, and I, uh, you know, I, I was mostly in education just up until this last year, which is actually probably the first time I really like owned the, the title of being an artist, which is really bizarre at 38 years old to kind of just suddenly feel like I can, I can say that. Um, but I think everything kind of masked it underneath that. So, um, as far as my experience with art, I think, uh, let's say back when I was a kid, I used to spend a lot of summers with my aunt Jean in, uh, Virginia and she used to teach me all these kind of like crafts and sewing and it was usually out of like all those like hoarded craft supplies that now I've taken on you know myself and um and just kind of started making just random shit and uh between that and then she would buy me one of those like multi-packs of the disposable cameras yeah. and uh and then she would take me to like random or just to like close parks and everything because she knew I loved just like the way the trees reflected on the water so um, I think at nine, when she would start doing that uh, is when I really started to kind of like think about art in a way that, you know, and as, as something that like fills my cup. So I think that was kind of my um, my initial experience. You know, I've kind of dabbled here and there, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that, too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for walking us through that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's always interesting to hear when people uh, say, yeah, this is when I realized, you know, the, looking back on it and um <laughs> It's it's funny when someone's like, yeah, you know, I had this really uh, interesting uh, sandwich, and it's like, oh, what? It's <laughs> like you you saw art in there, but it's it's interesting to see where people kind of have that 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 um that reference point, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So, could you share a life experience that that helped shape your creative sensibility? Because um, I, I think you know there are many things that like pop up or what have you. Like someone may say. I'm a hard worker and I really put that towards my, my, my work for, for instance, for me, uh, in, in this month where we're recording, I'm, I'm never a person that really gets sick in this time. So mm -hmm. with it, I have a day job, you know, like a lot of us right. do, and I'm somehow doing 45 interviews this month. Oh, so, God. you know, that's, that's just, I grew up and that was kind of like hard work. This is what you do. And right. I would say that that's something that shaped me as a creative and as a person. Right. Absolutely. And trying to like fit it in where you can and just knowing that that's what sustains you. Right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, oof. 
again, one of those uh, <laughs> narrowing it down questions. I got to say, um, given the fact that I only probably recently gave myself permission to kind of like, you know, adhere to somewhat of an identity, I would say uh, about this time last year, I was doing some research for a contract that I was doing. I do a lot of professional development and everything um, through my diversity LLC that I have. And um, and I was doing some, some looking at di uh, diagnostic criteria and some of the biases in terms of access and um, all of that fun stuff around like neurodivergence and gender identity. Um, and as I started taking some of these questionnaires myself, I realized all of the ones are related to autism spectrum disorder were coming up as highly likely. So I uh, I decided to go through an assessment myself, and it turns out I'm very much on the spectrum. And uh, with a background of, you know, 12 years in teaching special education, all that kind of stuff, it is something that I think just never had occurred to me. Sure. Um, and th I think the more that is coming out in terms of how it presents in different populations and um, and just what some of the actual symptoms and, and observable traits are, uh, it's like me to a T. And for me, I feel like it actually kind of unpacked this weird arbitrary rubric that I had on my on my identity. You know, there were like all these like sets of rules that I somehow gave myself where I was like, well, I can't be an artist because I technically never formally trained, right? Or I can't be um, a person of color because, or I can't be black because I technically am only a percentage of, you know, like there were all these weird rules that I gave myself. And I think, um, I think that kind of gave a lot of light as to how I, I viewed the world. Yeah. And so, um, so then when it came to art and just that I use that as a form of self-expression, that kind of unlocked a uh, a freedom, I think, in in my creating things because I didn't give myself the same rules, the same parameters. Mm -hmm. I didn't look at other artists as like threats or, or things that like I would never live up to, because I realized it ain't about them. Like it's it's never been about them. It's about me and how I'm connecting with the world. So that kind of like loosened the reins and actually like opened up a lot of possibilities for me. Um, I think since then, I also uh, left my full-time job in education and started focusing on my LLC and um, doing an art fellowship full-time. And that's been like incredibly liberating just to be able to like spend my time surrounded by other folks that like either share the world um, in a similar lens or at least like recognize the the different ways that you can, which is, which is really powerful. So I think that's... Uh, that's just been like a, it's been a huge influence, I think, for me. And and I think um, in terms of my art, and I'll kind of dive into it a little bit further later, but that's really influenced too the way that it's manifested in what I create too. Yeah. I have I have a side question with that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And this is this might even fall as a rapid fire question, but um so so I think looking at that that kind of like those rubrics and all that we have in mind i have a really broad kind of sense of eh, this is this this also could be this but then in <laughs> other spaces especially when it comes to food i'm like eh, it's not shrimp and grits there's no ruin there where's the <laughs> right. you know so but and i find like for a long time my my favorite color is has been gray mm -hmm. you know that's just like eh, it's not this so it's not that it's not black right. and white <laughs> that's do, true 
do you have a, a favorite color and do you see any connections to maybe your, your, your personality or some of the things that you've discovered and maybe those things related? Do you have something that's like that or? That's, it's so, it's like, it's really interesting that you say that because one of the things that I've explained to people, um, you know, because inevitably you get those reactions of people being like, I would never think that you were blah, blah, blah. Right. And they say it about literally everything. They could, I never would have thought you were gay. I never would have thought you were, you know, like, I mean, it's just like about everything they have to put their own two cents in. Right. So in terms of like the, um, one of the things that I've explained to people, I was having a conversation with another friend that was kind of questioning their own kind of thought processes and, and relation to neurodivergence. And, um, and we were thinking about like, the way I picture it is almost like, you know, remember the, you know, there's like photo collages and everything and like, or the, so everything when you zoom out, it looks like uh, just a black and white photo or just yeah. like gray kind of scale photo. And I feel like, um, for me, a lot of my experiences, <laughs> one of the, okay. So backtrack for a second, when I got the diagnosis, there were certain things I didn't realize were not other people's realities. So like my lens has always been my lens. So if that's the only thing you have to compare it to, a lot of times, like that's what you're going to assume other people's norms are. Right. Sure. So like one of the questions had to do with like, you pick up mannerisms from other people or other like expressions or something like that. And I was like, well, yeah, that's the human, that's the English language. Right. Or like, that's just like human nature. You learn by <laughs> observing and kind of mimicking. Um, and my doctor cut a lot. was like, oh, to, to a degree. Um, and so I was thinking about like this, this mosaic kind of uh, analogy where I feel like my life, when it comes to certain like behaviors and like understanding how to react in certain situations, there's like this giant photo mosaic where like mm. at any time I can zoom in on a picture of like what happened in a certain scenario and go, oh, that didn't work anything before. Maybe I'll draw on this. One. Oh, yep, this one. I'm going to do that, you know, and it's yeah. almost like this giant like it, it looks from behind like there's this seamless spectrum or not a spectrum, but just like, you know, scale of this image that looks like, I guess, seamless, but it's really this intricate, like, you know, collection of experiences that you learn from, and then you can draw on. And that's actually where kind of sometimes neurodivergence is like superpower, because you can kind of like retrieve these things that you can call on later, you know, and it's not really instinct. I didn't know people could just act on instinct. That sounds like sorcery to me. But <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, okay, so sidetrack. There goes the ADHD part of me too. Um, so color-wise, I would say, you know, purple has always been my favorite color. Teal. Uh, teal has been drawing to me more and more, but it's it's really interesting depending on the mood, you know what I mean? And so I have feel or I felt like I've been more connected to the shades in that sense and just kind of like what that looks like as opposed to just what it feels like. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, burgundy for me uh, because I like to call it ox blood and say, "Oh, it's just the blood of my enemies." <laughs> I love and, that. You know, <laughs> no, but I, I think it's funny. Um, I sometimes I look at certain rooms that I'm, I'm in, and I kind of use this the the, the mosaic sort of. I, I kind of look at like hmm, in terms of diversity. Mm -hmm. If I were to pixelate this room, how white is it or how black is it? I start doing oh. that and it's a preset for me. And I was like, hmm, should I be in this room? Am I the only piece of, you know, pepper here? You know, oh, how, that's how's that really room? interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, now I'm going to do that. Now I'm going to be like thinking about like the, you know, <laughs> spectrum of, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you're a coffee drinker or what have you, but uh, mm -hmm. go into a coffee shop and ask for your, uh, it's colorism. I'm, I'm not going to say it's not, mm -hmm. but ask for coffee at the complexion of your favorite celebrity that's black. 
So it's like, oh, let me get that Bob Marley, which is like coconut milk and and uh, <laughs> I'm and, like totally black coffee. Try that. <laughs> Yo, oh yeah, that's the way. That's the way that I order coffee. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Do people usually get it right? Like, let's be real. Like, yeah. I only had one person get it white right, and it was a uh, it, it was a person that was you know part of the tribe, part mm-hmm. of the, and uh, they were like, "That's really funny." I, got you. <laughs> I was like, "You got That's, it, and you got it." It's real because you know people are paying attention to like that person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So can awesome. you can you tell us more about your work and what are the main ideas that your work aims to express? Sure. Um, so, in terms of um, Let's see, where do I even start with it? So some of the things, I'm going to start with talking about some of the things I randomly dabbled in, in terms of like art. So things that, of course, I didn't name as art because I didn't think that it qualified as art, um, but I guess I'd been kind of doing it all along. And so um, so some of the things, uh, so I mean, I do, I do wood, wood burning, I do photography. I think a lot of my, you know, my first kind of admission to some sort of artistry would be the photography. Um, but then a lot of it is like crafting with just kind of very various materials, which, you know, in retrospect actually is kind of collage art anyway, but I just never really saw it as, as that. Um, and then, I mean, all the way to like, I did some African dance and I did some drum drumming. I collect um, international percussion instruments. And then uh, and then I did drag king performing once upon a time too. And so like all these different elements of me were just ways, I mean, they were all self-expression. They were all, they all kind of had a common thread of communicating some part of myself with the rest of the world. Um, and what I've realized, you know, I think I've known all along, but I think only recently I've been able to put words to has been the idea that, you know, I don't always have, I can't always rely on words as much as, you know, I'm actually a logophile. I love words and I am really like, I love the intricacies of them, but when I'm mad or I'm upset or whatever, I cannot draw on them for shit, you know, unless I'm writing, like if I'm writing like a heated letter, you can bet your ass I'm going to use like every, you know, four or five syllable word, whatever. Um, But for the most part, like I don't always have the words or I don't always have the social means to communicate things the way that I want them to. Um, And I'm routinely walking away from conversation being like, Oh, I should have said this, or I should have, you know, I'll probably email you like a pair, you know, a novel of everything I probably forgot to mention in this too. Um, But you know, a lot of it is just my own way of connecting the one with the world when I don't always have the tools to do so. Um, and I think that's something that I've carried a lot into my work with students, into my work with my, you know, with my own kids and clients and stuff like that. Just that there's so many different ways you can express yourself and that that comes from a deep rooted value. So it's not even just about self-expression, because part of the thing is, you know, at a young age and even even depending on, you know, different people's experiences, you can be a certain age and still feel like you don't know who you are to express. And so it gives that kind of intangible element, but it also communicates the values that are, you know, that you need to get out there. And so and that is all part of like who you are and who you're representing. So um, so I know like a couple examples. One of them is you know, during the pandemic, I was one of the, you know, one of the zillions that started a business and was like, hey, I'm going to do this or whatever. And at the time it was jewelry making um, because I was, you know, in the education world when we were doing everything virtual, we were trying to get really creative about reaching our students and 
creating more safe virtual spaces for them. And, um, and it was a little bit trickier. It's not like you could, you know, they could walk into my rainbow filled office or whatever, you know, um, and students being limited to, you know, this part of them or, you know, the, whatever they could see on the screen, we're getting misgendered all the time. Um, and so, so anyway, one day I, with my, uh, wood burning, I started making like pronoun jewelry, um, because for some reason we couldn't change the platform that we were using. We couldn't use, we couldn't change our pronouns that we were using or yeah. like even just the name that we're, students were being referred to. So there was all kinds of like people not feeling like their identity was being acknowledged. So with the pronoun jewelry, at the very least, I could normalize pronoun sharing. I could make it, make it available for others because I started offering it to other people. Um, and just like promoting this message of like visibility means volumes. So even in those like stupid meetings where you're like involuntarily muted, yeah. you know, and you're just <laughs> you're just confined to this little image and it's like Brady Bunch scene or whatever. Um, but you can't say anything. You can at least make a statement and you can still feel like you, um, the core of who you are inside is still mattering outside. So, you know, that's, that's one element of it. Um, the other thing I started to realize is with, uh, one of the things, the common experiences for people that are late diagnosed, uh, autistic is that, um, you can feel like this questioning of who you are is like, am I just a mirror image of everybody I've seen? Am I just reflecting everything around me? Because notorious, you know, historically, that's kind of the supposedly the trend is, or not the trend, but like the pattern is that there's like a, a mimicking of your surroundings, right? Sure. So when you start like thinking deeper about it, you're going, well, who am I really at the core if I've really just matched other people's energies my whole life? And so um, I started, you know, I actually, one of my friends, uh, maybe a few months later after the diagnosis, had sent me an application to this arts um, arts integration uh, art fellowship uh, for artist teaching spot. And I started making a collage for it. And I was like, you know, as I'm pulling little clips from like my own photography and things from a magazine and everything like that. I'm realizing like that's one of my favorite things to do is to pick little pieces of what I appreciate the most and the things that I find valuable and the things that speak to me. And I put them together in a neatly arranged or like a very intentional arrangement. Right. And then I started thinking like this is going to sound super cheesy, <laughs> um, but like then I started thinking like that actually is kind of what I am. Right. So if I'm even if I am mimicking my surroundings and even if I'm just portraying all of the things that I've seen and I've picked up along the way, it's still the art in which I've used them yeah. to arrange how, you know, how I seem appropriate and how to communicate myself and everything. So not only did it validate me as an artist, but it kind of validated me as a piece of art, which automatically kind of opens up the doors for a lot of things, you know? Yes. And and it's it's funny you say that. I, I I talk to people and they're like, oh, so you know, truth in this art. You talk about art. I was like, I am the art, and I, I say it. Very, I say it with so much stank on it. I love um, it. But but yeah, and I, and I think in in terms of normalizing things, and I, I I'll, I'll I'll put this out there where my my partner we were both working at a um at a a Jesuit college and. Mm. Uh, she put it out there, like just matter of factly. At the time, I, she was identifying as bisexual, and and she's she's identifying as pansexual now. But she she mentioned she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm bi, and I was like, oh, okay, 
Cool. And like, like, so, so what's for lunch? You know, that was literally what my thing <laughs> right. was. Whereas every, every, every other person in there is clutching their pearls and looking for their collective <laughs> pearls. And I'm like, it, it's fine. Or right. even, um, you know, this notion of having like one's video up and my day job is in higher ed, still in a different role in a different university. But it, there was such a fight and a push in terms of like um, how we did data, you know, mm-hmm. as to, well, that's a deprecated field. It's like, then we should remove gender from these fields because it's deprecated. We Bingo. don't need it. Yeah. Um, I was like, is there a grant attached to this? Is there funding attached to it? Then I don't think anyone cares. Right, and, right. You know, and even with like doing everything through like Zoom or some other app, you want to have that that's that sort of stuff in there. Um, but I think one of the things and one of the ways that I've seen people share messages without being overt about it is, you know, touching on it, like having those pronouns up there in the screen when allowed or even what's in the background. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, yeah. this is book, this book right here. It's just like, yeah, how not to be a dick, you know, it's <laughs> the title of a book. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's also my motto, by the way. Just don't be a dick. Like, that's (laughs) so. Yeah. um, I I remember I I had an interview with an artist a while back and um, they they were um, non-binary or they're non-binary. And I remember throwing out one of the goofiest jokes I had because I I like having bits that kind of fit and it's like, it's not mean spirit, it's not bad. It's probably punish. Yeah. And I was like, they, them, thou. I was like, this is the, these are my pronouns, the old English pronouns. <laughs> and they it. were like, you are stupid. I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so could you, could you tell us a bit about um, If I Knew Then Letters Project? Um, and what was the thinking behind it? Sure. Um, so, I mean, th- even drawing back to the whole idea of like visibility and even, you know, like those things that we used to do, like, especially during the pandemic or even, well, maybe not right now. Cause I'm in my 10 year old's room. So you've got a 10 year old's room, whatever that's worth behind me. Um, but the, um, you know, in terms of, um, oh, see, I've already lost my, 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 can you repeat the question? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> edit that one out. So tell us about the If I Knew Then Letters Project and what Thank was the you. thinking behind it? Thank you. Um, so, okay, so with with If I Knew Then, um, you know, this whole idea of visibility. Um, I At the time, I was teaching, uh, I was teaching in high school that was, you know, in a moderate conservative county, I would say more, more, more than moderate, at least. Um, and, you know, our GSA, our Gender Sexuality Alliance Club was... Um, you know, we had just gotten it up to being able to be coined as either gay, gay, um, gay straight alliance or gender sexuality lines. It used to be have to be covered as like, you know, diversity club or whatever, you know. And so we were kind of making these um, progressive steps. And uh, one of the things that I was so kind of inspired by from all of my students is the amount of like self-awareness and passion that they had at like 14 Mm-hmm. And, and just, I mean, and this isn't meant to sound ageist in the sense of like, you don't expect, but like, I think about me as for, I was not, I didn't have my shit together. I didn't know where I stood on a lot of things, you know? Um, and I think I was just so impressed by like the willingness for them to just create the change that they wanted to see yeah. that, um, 
you know, I wanted to kind of, I wanted them to even deepen that knowledge. And I wanted to, them to see that like this, they're not the first wave of folks that have felt these things. And if combined, you know, if you can combine that passion and that enthusiasm with like that timeless knowledge that kind of came before them and connect them to that, that sense of belonging or that ancestry, um, that, that could be really powerful. And so what I did was I had, um, I had LGBTQ adults for whatever it's worth in terms of definition. I don't know what you can define an adult, but I guess like, you know, out of, you know, at past high school, maybe like in the early twenties or something like that, at least when and up. And so, um, so adults would write letters to their teenage selves, yeah. uh, with the theme or even just the message of, if I knew then. And, um, and so, you know, again, the intention was to help my students feel a little more supportive yeah. or supported and just feel like validated, but also give them kind of like, kind of fuel them even more to like be that change that I know they were capable of. Um, and then ironically though, I mean, they, they thought it was cool as a lot of high schoolers do, you know, they're kind of like, oh, that's pretty cool, Miss Phoenix. And then they like moved on. Um, but it was actually the letter writers that that reached out to me with the most uh, gratitude and the most um, reflection of just like, that was really cathartic. I really yeah. didn't expect feeling like that. Or I didn't, I didn't know that I was that proud of, of my story. Um, because I don't think a lot of us tell ourselves, like, I don't think we, we think back and give ourselves credit enough from where we've come from. And, um, and so that was really cool. Cause I think I've, you know, out of maybe like 50 ish letters that I've, I've collected so far, um, the bulk of the letters, I mean, I would say probably 99% of our, you know, what 48 out of 49 or whatever the number is, is actually like, they were all um, more messages of, you know, they, they weren't about like regret. They weren't about like, if I knew then I would have done this differently. They were more about like settling in for the ride, yeah. um, expecting the unexpected and just kind of like understanding that you're going to get there when you're going to get there um, and to like kind of tune into the, the present when you can, you know, mm. but also just kind of like getting through some of the some of the temporary and, and bring with you kind of the resilience that's naturally going to come with it. So anyway, it was really, it was cool because by the end of it, you know, thought I was going to have all these like super inspired charged high schoolers. I mean, they were, they were still badasses, but like, then I also had these adults that were like feeling really good about themselves. And, yeah. um, I think over the years I've, I've rewritten my own letter probably seven times and sometimes I've shared it. Sometimes I haven't, but you know, it's really just about me and recognizing like the journey that I've come from, you know? Um, so that's been pretty cool. But the thing that I want to do with it ultimately is I want to turn it into an anthology. And, you know, I even had a whole Kickstarter and, and it's definitely still on my like docket of things to do, especially now that I'm focusing on my LLC more, I can, I have a little more mental capacity to do that. Uh, my thing right now is trying to figure out like, I want to maybe couple those letters with art um, and maybe with queer artists that are also kind of depicting that same message through their art or maybe even teens, um, teens, you know, creation of art or something. I will keep you posted as to what that really looks like. But part of my intention, I, you know, somebody said you should do portraits since I do photography. Yeah. 
And my only thing is I didn't want people to be limiting themselves to like who they look like or who they look like in terms of when they read the letters. I want them to kind of see see that this is timeless and, Mm -hmm. you know, and still honor all the authors and have, you know, an index, that kind of thing, but not be directly. I want people for people to see that it really um, expands beyond borders. Yeah, that that's great. And I believe that this this idea of writing and 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 having and documenting and really being able to go through that sort of cathartic cathartic process is important. I find that writing down, writing things down has a lot of weight attached to it because you know, at times I kind of dabble with this idea of our conversations disposable. And I think that's ultimately what what I led what I why I led into doing a podcast. I think yeah, conversations they they're gone, and once you, but I think if you record them, that's the the way to get it. But you know, there are some people to believe that maybe you should write down conversations, maybe you should document in that way, and transcripts and things of the sort. But I think as a person and going through a process, and in really trying to to heal and reminisce and even look back and think of like, yeah, I'm here. I got I got yeah. I got through that, and it, it's good and. I remember this is ridiculous, but I remember a podcaster I really like. He found old tapes of him when he was a teenager and he would play them on the podcast and he would just make fun of himself like 20 years removed. He's like, I was a dick. I was stupid. It's like, oh, look at me all self-important. And it it gives you like like context or what have you. And it makes you kind of think back of, you know, when you're down, like I am good or I am great or what have you. And and it this kind of leads me into that this last question, which is the amalgamation uh, of things here. But I find that when entities that aren't really a part of a community or aren't really kind of doing that sort of work, they do things that feel a little more performative than like this is what you want. It's like, but is it? I don't think I, I don't think I want that. I think I just want like you know fair treatment, maybe something that feels equitable, maybe to be uh-huh. seen. Tell me about for for those who don't get it. How can we, like, macroly, like, people that's listening, like, hey, I don't know how to be more inclusive and more understanding. How how can how can that what would, what would that look like from your lens? Hmm. So I know you said there's the last question, so I'm trying to figure out: Do you want the soapbox answer or not? The not kidding, no, <laughs> whatever whatever one you want to shoot out there, uh, you know. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll still try to keep it somewhat to the point. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of buzzwords around diversity and inclusion and started to almost, uh, put a bad taste in your mouth, you know, like, because it winds up getting used incorrectly or inefficiently and kind of like in a way, in a very performative way, like you said, kind of just checking boxes and just all these, these things, um, and like, you know, I've actually had multiple uh, clients say, can you just provide us with like a tips and tricks page? You know, how can we, what can the thing, what what can we do? And and I can do that. But the truth is that's just kind of putting a Band-Aid on like a leak in like a giant dam. You know what I mean? It's really only going to buy you time while you do the real work, which is ultimately an introspection. And the the hardest thing about that is like, nobody wants to look at themselves at the time that they're trying to, you know, get a better performance appraisal, or they're trying to grow their company, or they're trying to whatever. Um, but until we're looking at like how each of us are kind of paying into the system that is 
keeping that oppression going and keeping people um, in these varying levels of like survival and just some people are thriving and some people are trying to keep their head above water. And if we're not looking at that and we're not looking at like the, the, the underlying factors, that's, that's the part that's kind of problematic. And so Mm -hmm. this, this idea um, of, you know, quick fixes or whatever, is is challenging for me and so what i was you know actually recently somebody asked if i would do like a 10 minute 10 minutes on how lgbtq how they can make, be more lgbtq inclusive um and you're telling I, you to do stand-up can you do a quick 10 minutes on uh right, right like, like, so, like, what? <laughs> like, so i literally me. thought about for 10 minutes going don't be a dick Oof. don't be a dick don't I mean, like, how many ways can you possibly, you know, Um, because at the root of it, it's not going to change anything if we're not kind of looking at how we're paying into that system. And so um, so one of the uh, one of the things that I would say, you know, like, I think it comes down to two two elements. And like the biggest things I would say is like, yes, don't be a dick. (laughs) That's like that's (laughs) that's the the overall umbrella thing that I would like to like. It is. I mean, it all can kind of fit under there. Um, But more specifically is like honor individuals experiences. It is so amazing how many people just um, they're not putting the human element to it. And, you know, one of the things I know I've I've been asked before, too, is just kind of this. um, How does storytelling talk about activism? And I think it's that idea of like connecting people's experiences to what's really matter, like what's going to move us forward as a community. And um, and without that, like humanistic, without that personal experience, you can't actually develop that that empathy, that caring, that whatever, you know, that that is rooted or like is required in order for change. So because it's it's super easy for people to just turn their backs. if They don't know anybody or they've never heard anybody experience something themselves. Um, But that's just not like that's what we need to move away from. And most of the best like rebellions and uh, revolutions have been built on the back of people's individual stories. So that's kind of where a lot of my storytelling is like so integral in my art, whether people appreciate it or not, I realize I'm still telling the story, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I I would say it's, it's kind of honor people's experiences, um, you know, break down some of the norms, make sure that people are not, um, you know, by setting norms, things like, you know, preparing students to act as neurotypical as possible, which is super damaging, is, you know, that that in itself creates that anything outside of that is abnormal and it's very alienating. Yeah. Um, having this gender binary kind of system where you, students are getting, you know, emergency contact forms that say mother and a father um, and or they're constantly saying mommy and daddy in classroom or whatever. My kid was, you know, it was not until kindergarten that my oldest son realized that it wasn't normal to have two moms and that was a school doing it, not anybody else. So, you know, like there's a lot of power in just redefining that there's, you know, we don't have to adhere to these kind of outdated norms that are in turn alienating. And then we're having to put out these fires that we created, you know? So. Yeah. It's, I, I, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. Because uh, I think they're, they're they're not huge changes, but they can be powerful changes. Like when you say, you know, mother, father, whatever, that I don't have any kids. So it's it's kind of mm-hmm. one of those things. But it's it's kind of like you could just be parent one or 
other parent or what have yeah. you. That's not yeah, much or like work emergency contact, family member, yeah, family member, guardian, that kind of thing. And like, yeah. and let's face it, how many students are like having that like like nuclear family structure these days anyway? Like, no matter what, you know what I mean? Like, just people are living with all different kinds of family members, and like, you know, there's a lot of norms that are placed on it, which then perpetuate the stigma that are that are keeping that kind of divide there. Yeah. And and even looking back at it, you, you kind of caused me to think about it because we're, we're about the same age and this this thing of, oh, you don't have both parents. It's like, huh, you got to have both parents filled. It was like, huh, yeah, right, I, right. I have both of mine. This person might not, but there is someone there. And right. it, it in, in kids or in my experience, kids mm. are honest and they don't have that filter yet of they're going to talk behind your back. I'm like, why you got both parents? Right, right. <laughs> like, yo, can you not ask me that? Can you? you oh, like- <laughs> exactly. And that's, I mean, that's the great thing is like, you know, I go from something like the kindergarten incident of, you know, my son first getting this idea of, of what's not normal. Fast forward to a few years later and both him and his younger brother are like, rushing home excitedly to tell me that they have a non-binary teacher at school and they like say their name just like so fluidly where I, I hear teachers like or other adults like say the word mix as in like they're tripping over a curb with coffee in their hand I mean, it's like it's so unnatural for some reason yeah. for adults but the kids are just so like I mean they get it and they're excited about it and they're excited about that change and I think it just goes to show that like Kids are the ones that are very capable. I think we kind of get stuck in our own kind of haunches or whatever, you know, and I'm sure I've got my own short-sighted elements of me. But, you know, I think we could just kind of, I guess, see outside ourselves as like a really powerful movement. Um, But that's hard. You know, I guess people are not as, takes a lot, lot more warming up to that idea. Yeah. And I I think one of the things that I've encountered uh, is, you know, that, that notion of don't be a dick, it kind of floats on both sides a little bit where it's just like, all right, this is a new person. Mm-hmm. They can mess up. And if they yeah. continually mess up, then they're just being a dick. But right. if they mess up that initial time, like don't lose it because unfortunately for better or worse, in some instances, you might be the only person they've met right. that falls within it. That sort of like set and has that sort of like background. That's their reference point. And it's just like the, the a situation. So, you know, um, that's, that's kind of what that is. And I, I remember, um, I looked at it cause you know, I get bios from people and stuff mm-hmm. and I'm like, you haven't updated your bio. It's like, you're not going about those pronouns. Can you update your bio? So I don't come off looking like a dick. I, I had like three different thoughts all at the same time. <laughs> it's like, Oh, which one do I go with? Um, cause I know we're balls in the air. Too. <laughs> um, no, but I was going to say, yeah, I think there's, there's like a lot of, um, the, I th- oh, just the idea that certain um, certain institutions when it comes to and this is like kind of related, but I mean, it kind of goes back a couple couple bits of a couple minutes of what we were talking about. But just in terms of like, um, you know, one of the things that like I've had to draw for myself creatively um, or a boundary I've dra- drawn for myself creatively has just been this idea of um 
you know, not stifling a student's identity as themselves. You know what I mean? And that was something else I've noticed in like some schools and not others. And I'm just really appreciative of seeing that when it when it's able to play out, you know, um, and even just like having schools where, you know, I probably sound like I'm promoting my kids school, but it's just it's actually just the fact that they're not centering these, you know, the curriculum. They're actually looking at the curriculum. They're recognizing that you can do all these other changes, but if you're not looking at the fact that like all of your characters, all your antagonists, all your events are based on like cisgender, straight white males. And you know what I mean? So there's like all these just different elements. I think it's just, I would also want to tell people to just pay attention a little bit more to, Mm -hmm. you know, what is being represented and whether students can see themselves in that work, you know? Yeah. I mean, I always look for like the chunky protagonist. It's like, yo, where is the six foot four, 300 pound black guy? He's got glasses. He does a podcast. It's like, you're just looking for yourself in all of these <laughs> right, things. Right, right, exactly. But, but, but in, in a sense, we we are looking for that. We're looking for someone that we connect to and we can relate with. And going to it, mm-hmm. a lot of these classics and a lot of these things that are in schools that are part of the curriculum, we, you know, don't feel represented in there, even, you know, something as, you know, having not the multi sort of hyphenated sense, but kind of like, I'm a black male, cisgendered, what have you, have you. And it's like, I don't feel represented in that. So someone that has much more uh, in a much more uh, fuller, richer kind of identity that they're presenting, I can imagine how they definitely don't feel represented. And there has to be efforts to either bring in sort of work that's representative of that and really vet that stuff, do mm-hmm. a better job of being able to vet what's appropriate and what, what represents in terms of, mm-hmm. is this scholarly? Does this fit these other criterias? Mm-hmm. Subject matter aside, does it fit these criterias? Right. And let's go from there. Yeah. No, I think that's really powerful. And that's where, you know, I'm loving that this fellowship and then even just working on my LLC is giving me a chance to focus on like, just supporting in ways where, you know, I'm not having to fix everybody's problems, but I can at least provide some guidance as to like, where are some missed opportunities, you know, and, um, and really kind of, you know, the fellowship is about arts integration. So it's a chance to kind of like infuse more perspectives where, you know, that curriculum has not changed too much since we've grown up, you know, and it's, it really is a way to kind of build in more perspectives that are otherwise not being shared enough with the students. Well, there you have it. Um, and, and thank you. Because uh, now it's that part where all of the goodwill we've established here and kind of talking about inclusivity and just better ways of thinking. Uh, I'm going to go to the wayside now because I got a couple rapid fire questions for you. Yeah, don't, go for it. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink yeah. them. I tell it to everybody. Don't overthink yep. them. Brevity is key. When are you at your, when are you most productive? Like, is it a time during the year? Like I'm most productive in the summer because I'm inside because it's hot as balls outside. Uh, Or Mm -hmm. I'm super productive in the morning because uh, no one is up or everyone is gone. When are you most productive? I would definitely say more in the morning. In terms of time of day, more in the morning. Um, Emotionally, I've figured out that the, the most creative side of me, the most uh, verbose when it comes to writing and all that kind of stuff is when I'm charged up and I'm mad. (laughs) And it's so funny because it's like, 
I'm not trying to like over, you know, tune into negativity, but sometimes that like reminds me like what those things are, like, what are my responses? You know what I mean? And so it's a way to get, get out those creative juices. And so sometimes, you know, it might be in response to something or it might be something that I had to kind of dive into and go, okay, if I don't do this, what could happen or might, you know, what, what has been somebody's response before? And it helps me actually formulate how I would present that training differently, you know? So, uh, time of day, definitely morning, but emotional. Yeah. I like to be a little fired up. I dig it. Uh, what is your oldest possession? Ooh, that is a good one. Um, shit. Maybe my, oh, I have, okay. So I do have a book of poetry. I have this binder of poetry and drawings. And some of these drawings, no joke, date back to like when I was nine years old. And so <laughs> they're not my highest quality whatsoever. Um, but it's really funny because there's also little doodles in the corner of just like, you know, I'm sure crushes I had at the time or whatever the case is. And it kind of just, it, it to me gives a little bit of timeline of like, what was I, what did I care that much about before? Because <laughs> I'm sure I was not as world knowledge whatever the case is now, you know, at 14 or something. Um, that's probably one of my oldest possessions. And this is the last one I have because I'm very, very interested in what people eat, especially creatives. What is your favorite sandwich? Hands down, and it might just be because I just had it. <laughs> um, there's, uh, can I say a restaurant's name? Sure. Here? Okay, so Neapol, uh, the smokery, whatever. What's what sandwich? It's their salmon BLT. Have yes. you ever had it? Yes, that it's my favorite sandwich like there. To die for. <laughs> it was combine that with the cardamom lemonade every once in a while. Although I got to tone back on that because, like, it's, I'm sure lemonade's got a lot of sugar, but like the two of them to combined are just like, the best i don't know i only reward myself with that and that was like that was like my hype myself up kind of meal that i had right before this actually so um yeah definitely recommend that one but there you have it that's 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 great that's a, that's a really good sandwich actually uh yeah yeah so with that i want to thank you for being on this podcast and two i want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out your work all of that good stuff the floor is yours absolutely um I okay, so one, I suck at self promotion. Like, I joke with one of my friends about this all the time where I'm like, yeah, I hope people just find it. But um, I guess I need to, you know, and I'm focusing on on my independent stuff more full time. I should. So uh, I do have a website called um, phoenixoutspoken.com. Um, and that, um, that name inspired was inspired by a. Uh, I had a boss one time tell me I couldn't be part of a a, a task force because my voice was too strong, and, uh, and I was like, "All right, well, let's go. Let's make my brand off of this." <laughs> um, See, so yeah, I told you that emotion just like revs me. Uh, no, I would I would say. Yeah. So, okay. So the website, phoenixoutspoken.com, or um, I have like multiple Instagrams that I'm hoping to dwindle down to one now that I can actually kind of recognize, you know, artistry can kind of cover a lot of things. Um, so I've got my Phoenix Rising Photography, my Phoenix Flare Creations, uh, and then I've got my If I Knew Then um dot com or whatever in, if i knew then uh instagram so lots of different ways i don't even know how to like narrow it down but guess follow one of those and i guess you'll uh you'll you'll figure it out soon no probably phoenix outspoken is probably the best way to uh follow me because i'm going to start updating the blog a little bit more and stuff like that so and there you have it folks
I want to again thank Alyssa Phoenix for coming on to the podcast and speaking with me. And for Alyssa Phoenix, I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art, community, connection, inclusivity in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. <laughs> <laughs>